welcome to the stage, Wesley Barnes. I imagine it must seem that me following Joni has all the glamour of a non-singing Paul Simon following Beyonce at the Grammys, <laughs> introducing a younger, more pristinely skinned singer, and knowing that you know, that he knows, that you don't want to buy his new album. <laughs> and I never thought I would be in a venue this dark without at least shouting, BLOOD BLOOD! a lot. So this, is a, this is a real thrill for me. Um, so, when I, was, when I was 17, I went to see Daft Punk, and I was jumping a lot, and I pulled a muscle. And it was, it was yeah, this is what you do when you're 17 at Daft Punk. But um, I, I, it was still sore a few days later, and I went, shit, like, I must get this scene. You know, this is, this is not normal. I'm, it feels like someone has shot my appendix out. So, I went to the hospital, and the doctor suggested that they just do a quick round of tests, and I found out that I had leukemia again. So, as you imagine, I was a bit miffed. Um, and uh, as soon as I found out it was going to happen, I had to go to a specialist hospital that I had in, been in a few years before for like periods of say six months to two weeks. And the thing was, there wasn't really there wasn't really um, a ward that specialised in teenage cancer facilities. So I often had to share with younger kids. And that was the thing I was probably dreading the most about going back to hospital, the fact that while I wanted to read Frederick Nietzsche, there was kids wanting to watch Barney, and, you know, it was always kind of a, a clash of, of um, not so much a clash, but kind of an awkwardness there, you know, when you're, you're kind of throwing up at night, you don't want to wake young kids and frighten them, because your morphine-filled self knows what it's like to feel emotional and physical pain. But, um... So I, I, I kind of go into a room and it's kind of like a strange sort of, um, you know, when you see American films and you see like um, kind of uh, Harvard dorm rooms and everybody has to share a room. It's kind of like a, like there was two to a room, so it's kind of like a version of that, but the rooms are bigger and you're there with your parents and usually the parents get on fine, but I was always kind of awkwardly in the corner reading or whatever. But it turned out that they, there, was another, there was another lad on the ward and he had... Um, testicular cancer, so they put him in with me, and I was a bit, I was a bit um, iffy about it because there were other teens on the wards, but whenever I kind of met them outside the ward or like for checkups or whatever before, they just seemed like assholes. I mean, just because you have a terminal illness doesn't make your personality any better. Like, it's, it's not some sort of, oh, I was given this great gift because I'm a great person. No, it's just random. And, you know, nothing, people don't change. This is the big thing I learned about being sick. People stay the same most of the time. And they weren't bad people. I was just kind of, we wouldn't have been friends in real life. And I had a big idea that I wanted to keep my actual sense of teenage self away, away from the hospital. And, I wanted to like make the friends I wanted to make, so I was never really like forthcoming in that sense. And I, to be honest, I don't think I lost out a lot. I mean, maybe I'm just a dick, but, but um, it turned out that me and the, the guy that got in, we got on, we got on really well. He was this really funny guy from the west of Ireland. He liked punk music. I liked punk music. Our friends were kind of in bands, and the bands kind of would have played similar gigs when they toured and stuff. And my um, parents got on really well. My my uh, my uh, John thought my dad was hilarious. My dad really played up to this, for example. My dad would convince John's mom to go outside the hospital to, to smoke fags because they weren't allowed to smoke all day because, you know, it might have been frowned upon to be, like, you know, going out for a cigarette while your teenage sons are 
about to queue up and about to sign up to Dent's party bus. But, um, so, you know, there was a great rapport there. We became really solid friends. He was really, he was really great in the sense that he always made me laugh and I always made him laugh. And because um, he, he said when he was in other kind of wards, he was kind of shy about like, you know, getting annoyed and kind of um, cursing out because, you know, he, it was him having testicular cancer was such a personal thing and it was such, you know, lads don't talk at the best of times, but it meant that when we were in the room together, he could like get up in the middle of the night and, and say stuff like, for fuck's sake, I have to piss again, like, what is this? And uh, we would kind of laugh about it and whatnot. And so basically what happened was I had to get a bone marrow transplant and John's condition bettered a lot quicker than mine and he was going home possibly for good. And I was like just about, I was, this is about the month before I was going to go into isolation and have all my blood cells uh, removed, etc, etc, and then get my bone marrow transplant in 70, 30, you know, it, it could go one way or the other. So like when John left, we had a kind of like, oh yeah, like we should definitely keep in touch, etc, etc, like just trying to keep a brave face on things because it was awkward and um, we didn't want to get overly emotional. So we were kind of just like, yeah, yeah, man, I'll definitely um, get on to you like when I get out of the hospital. And then um, I had the bone marrow transplant and that was eventually fine and um, a couple of months later like I come home and my sister was like, somebody called here for you and my sister was a typical kind of, maybe over overly, or the average typical like teenage bitch. But um, <laughs> so I was like, yeah, yeah, who was, who called for me? He was like, somebody named John, he had a weird accent. And uh, I was like, for fuck's sake, Shannon, like, did, did you take down his number, etc. Et and she went, no! All your friends are freaks and just left the room. Like, I was like, okay, yeah, brilliant. Um, like, that's great. I may never hear from John again because this was kind of like the pre pre days of social networking. This is about so maybe 2000, 2006 era. And um, I was like, I, I, I couldn't even remember John's second name. And I, I said it to my dad, and he went, shit, you know what? I can't remember John's second name either. It's a, and, you know, it kind of, I thought about it. I was like, I need to get back to him somehow. But then, you know, weeks went past and Eventually, I went. To, I went back to school, back to college, and I got a bit. I got a bit nervous because if I was like, if I find out, like, and if I get his details, like, what if he, what if he died? You know, I mean, it just made me feel bad about not following it up. So I just kind of hid it at the back of my mind. And a few, a few years passed anyway. And every, every so often, I would remember John, and I was like, fuck, what? Like, I wonder how John is if John is still alive. And because you know, a lot of kids did die, and I guess the one thing about being put into a teenage ward was I didn't get the the sudden sense of oh shit, this might be really awkward in a few weeks time when like you know the little kid dies because the, the younger children tended to die in the ward. But um, anyway, like um, I still ignored it. I, it came up in my mind every now and again. I just kind of looked sadly out of windows and went, "What about John?" <laughs> but um, I go and then a few years later and put this into the story. Um, a friend of ours was getting married in Ireland this time last year and we, because it was, it was my friend but the person he was getting married to was a bit of a pain in the arse and um, at this stage I had been going out with my own girlfriend for about five years and she didn't like the person he was getting married to kind of and I was kind of like it might be fun blah 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 the people might be there and you know, we, we we kind of decided we would go back to Ireland and do and like you know drive down to the wedding, etc., etc. And maybe just before I completely convinced my partner to do this, I got an email, and it was I was like, who is who is this guy? Is John McDonough? And I looked into the email, and it's like, hey man, I don't think you you might not remember who I am, but we were on the war together in hospital. 
And I went, oh, fuck yeah, John got on to me. And um, basically, it turns out that John is from the, a town near where my girlfriend's family live. And I was going to put it into context earlier, but so I met, met my girlfriend and, you know, um, she's from Sligo. This is all the details you need for this particular story. We need to mention her again. But anyway, um, there, there was another issue about my my girlfriend wanted me to like you know spend a weekend in her parents' place. But there's nothing fucking there. But this gave me the this gave me the initiative. It was like, oh shit, John lives nearby. Now I can finally visit your parents. Yeah. And <laughs> so I got onto John, and I was like, funny thing. And um, so yeah, when we when we came back to Ireland, and you know. I really pleadingly, with my girlfriend, convinced her, it's like, John McDonough is here, and I haven't seen him in years, and he basically saved my life. So now we have to go home to visit your fucking parents and me, John. And, yeah, go to the wedding and all that fun stuff. But, um, so, yeah, we, we went back, and, like, myself and John met up, and it was really fun. He's, he's still a really funny guy. He's super into making, like his own films with his girlfriend, and they have a child, which is some sort of minor miracle, you know, John had testicular cancer. I mean, he seemed to think that it was his, I didn't question this. And, you know, they see, him and his girlfriend seemed pretty happy, and then um, he regaled the story about, oh, remember your dad used to always get my mom to come out and smoke with him, and it was like, yeah, it sound. Uh, and, yeah, it was, it was really, really nice, and then at one stage of the night, he was like, I'm sorry, like, if you, if you were a bit weirded out by me getting into contact with you, it's just, like a few years ago, like after I got out of the hospital, I was like, I might never see him again. Like he's getting his bone marrow transplant, and I was like, I, your dad had given me your number, so I went, yeah, fuck, I'll ring Wes, I'll ring and see his Wes at home. And I mean, man, like, you know, for all I knew, you were dead. And I was like, yeah, my fucking sister. Like you know, it's fun into some to put this into context, because um, we are we were raised Catholic, even though we were kind of like non kind of believers. We didn't go to church or anything, but um, as part of Catholic people are here have any idea but people that go to like confession before they do the confirmation and communion and it was like my sister had to go to confession before her communion and she told me this like while I was in hospital that she, she said oh, you know why like you know because you were in hospital and you were getting all the attention I was really I was really pissed off about this I said this to the priest in confession and he told me to get out of the church and that it was horrible. And I was like, yeah, because that's a horrible thing to say. Like, it's not just me. Like, you know what I mean? Whatever your thoughts about me and my illness beforehand, like, you're, this is not cool. But uh, anyway, it's funny how things turn out. We are both not dead and, you know, my sister has a kid now and she's even nice these days. So, there's hope for us all.